Oh, hello. Good morning. It is my pleasure to be talking to you on this sixth session of our series on what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a teaching of Jesus uh, that's recorded in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 to chapter 7. Before we started this series, you recall that we learned about how to be a people of God living in circumstances that we don't want to be living in as shown in the book of Daniel. Following that, the leadership team and the teaching team and our prophetic people sensed that God wanted us to sit at Jesus' feet to learn from him. The key thing was for us to be transformed, for us, to, for our characters to be changed, for us to be truly the people of God. And we sense that God was preparing us for a time where he was going to do something new with us. You might recall that picture that was seen of us sitting down to develop roots uh, for a time when God is going to plant us at a place of his choosing in the time of his choosing. So here we are, folks. Please sit down, sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from this teaching on the mountain. We'll recall that actually Dan did the first part of the series, giving us an introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, followed by um, Robin and Andy, who spoke about the Beatitudes and what it means to be the people of God. I think it was Robin who said that it was about being a gospelized people. I didn't know that word in English, um, that there's such a term in English. And again, you also say that we are to become a Beatitude people. And that is the basis of this teaching, that we are to become a true people of God. We are called to be holy, to be separate from the world. We are called to be a people of God. And so that's what this sermon is all about. We sit, we learn, we get transformation. After that, we heard from Phil, who taught us about how a gospel, the purpose of a gospelized people is to shine in the world, to be salt of the earth and light of the world. That's who we are called to be if we can be these gospelized people. Following Phil was last week, Dave Oliver teaching us how a gospelized people relate to the law of God. Uh, it's not easy, folks, as David said. He said, actually, the standard has been raised. Our righteousness, our character, our nature, our conduct has to be better than the righteousness or conduct or nature of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, for those don't, who don't know, were first century group of religious people who made it their cause to create rituals and ways of living that ensured that they always did the right thing. How they saw the law of God, the law of God was this. They saw the law of God as a fence, a boundary perimeter, that if they didn't breach this perimeter, this fence, then as far as they were concerned, they were good, godly people. Jesus, however, says that's not enough. That the law of God is not designed to become a parameter fence. A gospelized people would see the law of God as what's intended to be the way of life. It will be the markers of shalom, of harmony, of peace, of what it means to be truly godly. So it's not something to be guarded against necessarily, but it is something that's supposed to motivate how we behave. It's something that's supposed to change us from within, to make us to be who we truly are called to be. 
And today we're going to read 11 verses that will show us what that actually means by give by way of a few examples. But before I read today, I want us to be careful because we're talking about the law and I have struggled sometimes. I'm sure others have to. When the church talks about the law, it feels quite judgmental sometimes and other times it feels quite harsh. Um, and just before I get there, I want us to really recall who is teaching on this. It is Jesus, our Lord. And John describes Jesus as one who was full of grace and truth. I have struggled in preparation of this sermon because I've wanted to be really true, truly full of truth because our Lord was, but also full of grace because our Lord was. And I've noticed sometimes when I go for truth, I miss grace. And sometimes when I go for grace, I miss truth. I have to dilute truth to get gracious. And sometimes I have to dilute grace to become truthful. I'm sorry if I don't get that right in this sermon. But I want you to remember that the first year as we'll have heard this from a person full of grace and full of peace. And do what you will to ensure you get and land to a place of grace and truth. So let's read then the 11 verses. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to 32. I'm reading from the New International Version. Okay, it says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable, answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if, you're, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary will, will, may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give you a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is God's word. Really harsh things to hear sometimes, but also really full of grace. Uh, from these 11 verses, I really have three points that I want us to think on 
um, as way of learning from, from these 11 verses. Three points for the gospelized people in relation to the law. The first point is that the law is primarily a heart issue rather than a behavior issue. That's point number one. The second point is that the law is deep um, and it is therefore humanly impossible to achieve it due to our sinful nature. The law is impossible to achieve to humans. That's point number two. And point number three is that sin is a deadly cancer that, that, that must be dealt with urgently and decisively. So deal with sin urgently and decisively is point number three. Let's go then and look um, at the first point. The law is primarily a, human, um, a heart issue than a behavior issue. Well, Jesus teaches this point by giving three examples from the law. The first example was murder versus anger. He says they are the same. He says that murder is harmful, but the requirement is actually to live peaceably with all people. That is what we are called to do as gospelized people. Live peaceably with all people. Don't call people names. Don't be angry with anyone. And seek reconciliation with all who are against you. That's the first, that's the first, um, the first thing that he teaches. And why is that a heart issue? Because it's impossible to do without a right heart. It's kind of flaws. To be able to do that all of the time, not be angry. To be able to do that all of the time, not call people names. To be able to do that all of the time, it requires your heart to be right all of the time. It needs to be in your nature. Otherwise, it cannot be achieved. So to achieve that, you have to see the law as a heart issue rather than a behavioral one. The second example we give is adultery versus lust. And he says, actually, adultery is harmful, but the core is to relate appropriately with all people. So if, if there is, and there is sexual attraction, we know that, you have to have sexual attraction and use that and relate with that with the right people. And to be able to do that and to govern that, because some people are very attractive, you can only do that if your, your heart thinks the right way when it sees other people. It is a heart issue. It cannot be achieved by thinking it out. It cannot, it cannot be achieved by acting it out. It's there to be coming from within. It's what's your nature in relation to sexual attraction. Then the final example he gives is divorce versus reconciliation. He says that divorce is harmful and therefore the requirement is, is reconciliation whenever that's possible. Reconciliation is the requirement. And if you are married as I am, you would know that sometimes there are challenges in marriage. But we always have to move towards reconciliation because it's a heart issue. It's not just saying, well, I haven't divorced. That's good. But there is something much deeper than divorce that's required. Reconciliation and living peaceably with all people. Those three examples are seeking for harmony amongst humanity, seeking for peace. And the gospelized people, remember, are the peacemakers who are to be called children of God. So ultimately, behaviors matter quite a lot. And to that degree, the Pharisees were getting it right. But 
whatever matters, what, what, what matters even more is what's driving the behavior. It is the heart. It is what's really causing you to behave the way you are behaving. It's not enough that I've just ticked a particular box. If something else internally is still happening, that's different from how you're acting. Your behaviors outside have to be a reflection of your attitudes and your feelings within. So it is possible, conversely, to sin or to do the wrong thing because of the wrong attitude or the, the wrong drive of that behavior. So it's possible that I can give all I have to the poor and yet still be doing the wrong thing because I might only give for the reason of being recognized to make a name for myself for selfish ends. And if that were the reason I was giving, then even my giving can be sinful. So here we are being taught something much deeper as a true people of God, that it all has to start with the heart. It all has to come from within. That's point number one. The law is primarily a heart issue, not a behavior issue. The second point then is that the law is deep and humanly unattainable because of our sinful nature. Last week, we have a little bit of a debate between um, Phil and Emma talking about what sin is and what sin isn't. And I, what do we mean by sin? It got me thinking. And for me, what I thought when I really reflected on it, I thought that sin can be described as anything that breaks community or relationship. Whether that community relationship is with God or with fellow people, it is sin. So if I do anything that, that destroys community or relationship, then I am sinning. For those of us who are not really working in the Christian circles or in the religious circles, when we say sin, that's basically what I think we mean. But we also say, and we are taught by the Bible, that it's not only that we sin, we actually have a sinful nature. Our hearts are by nature sinful. So in other words, we have tendencies to break community. We have a propensity within us to do things that break, that cause relationship breakdowns. So we are lawbreakers really by nature. So in relation to the law, we are lawbreakers by nature. So the heart of the, of the call to Christianity, the heart you know, the, 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 the central message of a gospelized people, why, why do we exist? We are called to be people of reconciliation with God and with fellow, and fellow men and also support other people to be reconciled to their God. We are a people of reconciliation. And hence we need the law and hence we need to behave well according to the law. We need to allow the law to help us to flourish. So I am saying, and I'm admitting, and this is on the internet, that I am a sinful man. By my nature, I am sinful. Verses 11 to, uh, verses 21 to 32, those 11 verses, kind of tell me that I am a murderous adulterer. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but I have called people names before. I have been angry with people. And actually, I cannot say I have been because sometimes I continue sometimes to be angry with people. Sometimes for no cause at all. Sometimes for my own errors, I get angry with others. So in that sense, 
I kill. Also, ashamed to say, I am also an adulterer because I have lusted after other women. Sometimes I do. So I'm by nature sinful. And that's what is the, that is the second point. And if you are honest, are you not in some way like me? Do you not have struggles about things you know you're not to do, but you do anyway? Some of those things are behaviors, but Jesus is telling us that it's even attitudes of the heart and thoughts of the mind. The Pharisees thought that they did well uh, for themselves by creating rituals. And sometimes we also think that we are better. I sometimes think I'm a better man than the next man because I don't hit my wife. Or I might think, well, I'm a better man than, my, than other men because I don't do drugs. I don't know what it is that sometimes make you think you are better than others. And that is not true, simply not true. It's a very pharisaic way of seeing life. And I think when we behave in these pharisaic ways, we close the door to other people coming into our faith. I'm sure there are people who will not come to church because they feel they're not good enough, as if we are good enough. None of us are. And to be truly gospelized people, we need to be poor in spirit and realize that we need God. So I just want you to think on that. Particularly if you haven't been a Christian and you have found Christianity, what's Christianity about? It's about being accepting of the fact that we are not good enough. But Jesus wants to help us. That's why he's teaching this. He's full of grace. He, wants, he actually came to die for us that he can assist in some way by his spirit. I know that doesn't make sense to some people, but actually I would encourage you to come and taste. Come taste and see what Jesus can do and see if it makes a difference. But you say, well, you've just told me yourself that you're sinful. Yes, I am, but I am changing and I'm on a journey. And I'm not the same man I was 10 years ago. I think there are certain things that are, I'm getting better at through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It does take time, but the transformation is occurring and occurs all the time, bit by bit, day by day. So the second lesson is that to be a gospelized people, we need to rely on Jesus to fulfill his law. Otherwise, we cannot. Third and final point then is that sin is a deadly cancer that requires urgent and decisive action. Jesus says, metaphorically, if your right eye causes you to sin, gorge it out and throw it away. If your right arm causes you to sin, chop it off. That's drastic. That's really harsh. But folks, because our nature is sinful, we've got to guard our hearts and protect them from things that stimulate the wrong attitudes, the wrong thoughts, the things that are not helpful. In our context today, it could be Netflix for you. And maybe if Netflix encourages you to sin, <laughs> unsubscribe. That's, that's doing something. Cut it off. Kill it. Kill it off. Is it the books you read? Is it the beverages you drink? What is it? Are, are, are there websites you subscribe to or visit? Don't compromise 
put them to death today because sin is a deadly cancer that needs that needs and requires decisive, decisive action that's what the, that, that's the reason for the metaphoric language to shock you to really realize how bad sin is and it's not to be indulged finally before i finish verse 31 and 32 were really a challenge for me and i've had a struggle with these verses if i'm honest for a long time in my christian path it's because i know the pain that divorce causes i know the distress i've seen it around me people are experiencing it some marriages as i speak are really struggling and in turmoil even as i speak i need you to know that the man who was saying this said it in the most gracious of ways more than i can ever even attempt to but also he was a man who says truth heals and truth has to be known so i thought i would share a little bit what i thought about divorce i thought these verses are saying you can divorce if and only if the situation is insurmountable and horrific in their culture at that time such was the nature of adultery in fact some people were stoning others for committing adultery that's how horrific adultery was and jesus was saying this is the only situation where divorce is permissible when it's so insurmountable when it's so horrific so i don't think that it's okay like we sometimes do in our culture to say we're getting divorced because we've simply grown apart i don't think that our lord would have accepted that and i think what he's also saying is that if you divorce for light causes such as we've simply grown apart then you shouldn't marry because as far as god is concerned that divorce is not valid but for the insurmountable and for the unimaginable and the horrific horrific situations that we struggle as humans to manage maybe for that divorce can be allowed it's a permission a concession rather than a rule if we can find a way as gospelized people peacemakers that we are or people who hunger and thirst after righteousness or the merciful that we are called to be then maybe there is a way we can find to manage difficult marriages if we are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake then maybe there is something we can do to create a reconciliation but of course that always takes two people and sometimes that's not achievable so if you are there in that sort of situation i just want you to know that there is grace and if you have divorced maybe you've remarried that also for that there is grace too um so that I, I hope that was helpful but it's just something that I, was in my heart and was a problem so i thought i would share and i'm not sharing this on behalf of the church leadership team it's my own thoughts and reflections of these verses uh do what we will with them i hope i've said that with grace and hopefully i've also been truthful but before we go there are certain actions what what was the point of sitting on jesus feet if that doesn't result in some change and the change i'm after is not just behavioral it's attitude now it's what's happening inside our hearts but the first thing i want to ask you is what is your marriage like of all the relationships that has been described here the only true personal relationship that has been used as an example here is marriage what is that like 
for the gospelized people, we see the law of God as something that brings shalom, something that is wonderful, something that brings human flourishing. Is your marriage flourishing? What can you do? Is it time now to switch off the YouTube and get off the sermon? Because if you're in the middle of an altar and you remember somebody's got something against you, go and make reconciliation. Is it time for a date? What can you do to make it flourish? What can you do to turn around what's going on, what's going on with your marriage? Because it's an important human relationship. It's such a pillar in what we do. Then the second thing I want, you to, I want to ask you is, how is your heart in terms of desires and attitudes? Particularly in relation to sin. The question is, can you not draw to this teacher full of grace and love to be transformed? Can you not seek his face? It's not about what you can do. It's about what he does when people seek after him. Third question. What corrupting things are you aware of in your life? And my challenge is put them to death and do that today. Corrupting things in your life must be put to death. The fourth question I have is, who am I not in harmony with? Who am I not getting along with? Who has got an issue against me? Can you think of anyone? And if you do, can you, what can you do as far as practicable to you to make it better in that relationship? How can you reach out for reconciliation? Because that's what it means to be gospelized people. Those are my four questions. But there is somebody who just says, but I'm left out. I don't even know how to change my nature. I'm just left out. I don't even know how to relate to this Jesus. If he helps people, how do I get his help? Well, it's actually very easy for you, I must say. Remember, it's about the heart, not about behavior necessarily. The behavior needs to flow from the heart. So if you can say a simple prayer, then Jesus can transform your life. And you can pray a prayer such as this one with sincerity. Why don't you say something like, Lord Jesus, I've heard of your goodness, your grace and truth. I acknowledge that my heart is sinful. I want it to be different. I want to be transformed. And I've heard today that you can help me achieve that. So come into my heart and transform me. Make me your own and help me to have a good walk with you. Amen. If you've prayed a simple prayer like that with sincerity, something I guarantee you will start to happen in your life. And I want to encourage you to join a church, contact us, and journey with somebody because Christianity is about community. That's what God says that what his law also teaches us. God bless you.